Satan must reign in the Vatican and the Pope will be his slave. What would you do if you saw this at St. Peter's Basilica today on the One Peter Five podcast? Jesus is King. Welcome to the One Peter Five podcast. Rebuilding Christendom, Restoring Catholic Culture and Tradition. I'm Timothy Flanders, Editor-in-Chief of 1 Peter 5. Today's topic, we are talking about the Masonic and the Marxist infiltration into the church and societies. And we're going to go deep into the 19th century and the earliest 20th century. And then we're going to reveal our second patron at 1 Peter 5 and look at his reaction to this Masonic Marxist infiltration and how this is leading us to the actions that we're taking at 1 Peter 5 in order to contribute to the traditionalist movement. So before we get into that, I want to ask everybody to please like and subscribe to the YouTube channel to help it grow. Please become a monthly donor. We're trying to rebuild our donor base. We don't we can't do this without your help. We are a, a one a, a nonprofit in the United States, so you can make tax deductible donations, but anything you can spare for us would help us. We greatly appreciate it. 1pure5.com slash donate to become a monthly donor. Anything you can spare, $5, $10 a month, anything at all will help us. So, and with that, let me look at this. This is, here we are the ninth Sunday, ninth week after Pentecost. I wanted to show, wanted to do this on every Monday, which is the, the Liturgy of the Home calendar. If you don't have a Liturgy of the Home calendar, go to liturgyofthehome.com. This calendar is fantastic. It's a great way to catechize your children every single day to look at the days. This is the this is published by Sophia Institute Press. And so this is what it looks like. This is the, the whole printout. You get get these printouts as they come out in the calendar uh, every few months. So here's the night Sunday after Pentecost. We have St. Saint, Saint John Vianney. Uh, tomorrow is the Vigil of St. Lawrence, the great feast of St. Lawrence on Wednesday. Uh, stay tuned to 1 Peter 5, we'll, we will have uh, forgotten customs of St. Lawrence Day. That'll be later today. And then later today, or later this week, we have St. Clair and, of course, Our Lady on Sunday. We are all about rebuilding Christendom at 1 Peter 5, trying to give positive, practical tips, things that we can do practically. And one of the biggest things of rebuilding Christendom is restoring forgotten customs in our families. And establishing these different things just for our children to grow up with these customs of Christendom and things that they grow up with and they start to understand even before the age of reason. They just get the the cycle of the feasts and the different things that you do. And so this is part of this is this this wonderful calendar that make sure to check it out. Um, we love using it here at the Flanders household. So let's talk about the Masonic Marxist infiltration. So first of all, the 19th century saw an overthrow starting even before the American Revolution in 1773 with the, the sort of this Masonic conspiracy of the Vatican. And that was when the Pope suppressed the classical Jesuits. And the classical Jesuits, as you may know, were the Jesuits really not in name only, as many of them are today, but the Jesuits who were classically, uh, truly the crusaders of the post-Tridentine period. And the Masons hatched a conspiracy to overthrow them because they were at the forefront of the Counter-Reformation. 
And this is what I view, at least, as the one of the critical moments to begin this revolutionary period. And through from this period, 1773, we see the liberal revolutions beginning to envelop all of the ancient customs of Christendom all over the world. So we have the liberal revolution in the Americas with the United States. We have the French Revolution. We have the Haitian Revolution, which is a mixture of these liberal principles. We have a revolution in Ireland, 1798, which is suppressed, but it's still the same liberal concepts and liberal revolutions. Now, after that, we have uh, Napoleon begins to conquer all of Europe, and we have what's called the Holy Alliance, which, which in fact, Russia joins in this Holy Alliance as they had, had the, as they had joined in the alliance 100 years prior to fight off the Mohammedans after Vienna in 1683. And in this Holy Alliance, there is the Catholic counter-revolutionary spirit. And central to this spirit is the so-called Ninth Crusade. And this is when the Masonic conspiracy starts to hit Italy. And in this, there is the effort to overthrow all of the ancient local polities of Italy. So the ancient local polities of Italy were various republics and kingdoms. And with these Masonic revolutions, they are trying to coalesce and destroy all these local, local kingdoms and republics of Italy and create the modern state of Italy. And this is where all of the papal zuaves came from all over the world to fight against these Masonic revolutionaries. And the papal states, the papal states, which was really the, the central swath of Italy. So if you look at a modern map of Italy, it's really the central chunk of Italy was the papal states, which was a, a sovereign country ruled by the pope as the monarch. And so these papal zuaves were all of our forefathers who came from all across the world just to volunteer to defend the papacy and the papal states against these Masonic revolutionaries. And the Masonic revolutionaries continue to fight, and our forefathers fought against them in this dramatic battle, but they gained ground. In the providence of God, they gained so much ground that they were really at the doorstep of Rome when the first Vatican Council was called. And this is an important historical piece to understand what happened because Vatican I actually had a great deal of schemata, just like Vatican II would later. And they, it was going to be a very large council and deal with many different things. But because of the encroachment of these Masonic revolutionaries, eventually the first Vatican Council was stopped in its tracks after only a year. And in fact, the first communist revolution happened in Paris in that very year, in 1870. They executed the Archbishop of Paris. And so we have this Masonic revolution and the Marx Marxist revolution happening at the same time. And when we look at Masonry and Marxism, we see these, these very critical similarities. One is the, the error that one's own dignity has to do with one's own power. So the dignity of man is in his own power. That's the doctrine of Masonry and Marxism. So the, 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 Mason, the Masonic liberal says, well, you can't vote. You're in a monarchy. Therefore, you have no dignity. Therefore, we need to overthrow the monarchy. Or the Marxist comes to the poor man and says, well, you have no power. So you have no dignity. So here's a, a rifle. Let's go kill the rich people. That's the Marxist mentality of revolution. 
But the critical moment in all of this revolution is in 1854. And in 1854 is when the dogma of the Immaculate Conception is proclaimed. And I want to read there. I didn't, I didn't prepare this. See if I can see if I can pull this out. Um, 1854, the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. Um, if I can find it here. So Pius IX proclaims this revolution or this counter-revolution and really places the uh it under the patronage of our lady of the Immaculate Conception. Um Oh, I thought I just had it here. So she he states that in this, there is the Immaculate Conception will shame all of the hubris of modern man. It will shame the hubris of modern man because this is the other doctrine of Marxism and Masonry is a denial of original sin. It is a denial of original sin because Pius the Pius the Ninth understood that the, the denial of original sin came with this false view of history, which is both in the liberal Masons and in the Marxist view of history, that history is just evolving and getting better and better and better. Man is pulling himself up and he is progressing more and more and more. That is the doctrine of Masonry and Marxism. And Pius, Pius IX said that this dogma of the Immaculate Conception will shame the hubris of modern man because it proclaims, one, that all of man, all of mankind is under the dominion of Satan, the dominion of original sin, and Our Lady alone, born of woman, is immaculately conceived. She is the only one who is immaculately conceived. And at the same time, we had this counter-revolutionary movement together with it is the miraculous medal. Our Lady, Mary conceived without sin, pray for us to have recourse to thee. And there was a moment, when, and we'll get to this, this particular proclamation in just a minute, but I want to talk real quick about Alphonse Radisbon. Maybe you've heard of Alphonse Radisbon. He was a French liberal Jew who was in Rome at, and he was dared by his friend to wear the Immaculate Medal and pray the Memorare in a church in Rome. And he received a vision of the Virgin Mary and was instantly converted. And him and his brother, who also converted, they became Catholic priests and they founded a congregation to convert Jews. And this, this story actually was fundamental to our hero today that we'll discuss as we get into it. So what happened was this Masonic revolution proclaimed, especially in Italy, the, the errors of Darwin, various uh, racial and nationalistic theories, and the exaltation of the nation against the international Christendom's solidarity of nations under the Pope. And so the rejection of the Italian, the, the, the papal Zouavates, the, the fight against them in the 1870s leads to the modern state of, of Italy being created. So this is where Pope Pius IX becomes a prisoner of the Vatican. So the entire Vatican and all the papal states are taken over by the Masons. Leo XIII is a prisoner in the Vatican. So all of, so today the Vatican City is a sovereign nation 
I don't know if you're if you're aware of this, but Vatican City is a sovereign nation to this day. So you can have, so you can you you can go there and there's there's different police structure, different uh, juridical structure because it's a sovereign nation that nation that's separate from Italy. But it wasn't that way after the Masons took over in 1870. So the Masons took over. Leo the Thirteenth was a was a this uh, prisoner in the Vatican. Now the first real the first real glimpse or, or clue we might have of an infiltration of the church is in the figure of Cardinal Rampola. Cardinal Rampola was alleged to be a member of OTL, which is the, an occult society. Now, there, the evidence is not clear, but that's the allegation. Now, it was under Rampola's influence that Leo XIII proclaimed the Rallement with the Masonic Third Republic of France. And the Masonic Third Republic of France, because of Pope Leo XIII's influence, guided by Cardinal Rampolo, began to push more and more anti-clerical laws leading up to, under the pontificate of Pius X, uh, the pontifical, the uh, seizure of state property. Now, in, in uh, the God's providence, this is actually working out perhaps for the good in, in the, the case of Notre Dame in our own day. But at the time, this sort of compromise with Masonic France led to a, a deep divide in the French church, which in many ways we can we can point to things going on later on in, in Vatican II, this, this divide in, in the in the French church. But what happens is under Cardinal Rampola, Cardinal Rampola is actually elected, he is elected Pope next after Leo the Thirteenth. And this is when the emperor of Vienna, the emperor, the emperor of Austria, who is historically the, the Holy Roman Emperor, even though he had renounced that title, he actually issues a veto on Cardinal Rampola, alleging his Masonic or occult connections. And this is actually something that brings about the election of Pius X. So here we have this this large allegations with Rampola. Now, Pius X actually, it may have been a case of keep your keep your friends close, but your enemies closer, where Pius X actually kept Rampola in the, the Curia. But um, the, the jury is still out on Rampola. We're not sure if he was an infiltrator or not. But what happens under Pius X is that Pius X, obviously, his motto, restore all things in Christ. He was rooting out modernism. And he was really the last holy father figure to call Western and Eastern Europe, for that matter, back from all of these revolutionary movements against Christendom. And really, Pius X was the one who could do it. But what happened was that the, these nationalist and other ideologies won the day. And we have the beginning of the Great War in 1914. And this is right as Pius X dies. He dies right when the July crisis and everything's um, Pius X is trying to resolve it. And we have Benedict XV is elected. Now, it's during this war that we have two people that are our patrons uh, who appear on the scene in particular. So we've already discussed um, Emperor, Emperor Carl, the blessed Emperor Carl, the last Holy Roman Emperor uh, and he is our patron at 1 Peter 5. 
and we'll we'll talk about obviously our lady of fatima the other patron but today we're talking about here he is saint maximilian colby saint maximilian colby is our other patron at one peter five uh last november our editorial board decided on these three patrons our lady of fatima blessed emperor carl and saint maximilian colby and so we're going to talk about a little bit more about this infiltration that's happening and that St. Maximilian Colby sees in this placard and this parade at St. Peter's Basilica. And this all happens in this fateful year of 1917. There's a lot of huge things that happened in 1917. First of all, in February of 1917, we have the Mexican Communist Revolution. This is when the, the Cristero Wars ca came on later in the 1920s. This is when the, the communists made their move in Mexico. And it's interesting that they made their move in the really the heart of Our Lady's Dominion in the Americas, which is in Mexico with Our Lady of Guadalupe. And so this happens. Now, there's also a February revolt in Russia. And this is when R Lenin and Trotsky understand and see their move. This is when the abdication of, of Tsar Nicholas happens. And the Bolsheviks are making their move. Now, at the very same time as that in February, we also have Blessed uh, Sheptitsky, the, uh, the bishop, the Ukrainian Catholic bishop, is actually helping to establish the Russian Catholic Church. And this is a very interesting story that is also coincided with all of these things. And we'll, I'll get back to that in a minute. But what happens in 1917, also in February, at this time, the Great War had already decimated thousands, millions, destroyed cities, destroyed countless women and children, and created a bloodbath over the whole world. But the, the United States had not yet entered the war at this time. Now, in 1917, a young man, Maximilian Kolbe, was in Rome in his doing his studies for his for the priesthood. Here is the the moment that is was used for the title of this of this podcast. Uh, so I'm going to read from this book right here. This is Colby, Saint of the Immaculata, um, edited by Brother Francis Galvalage, uh, page 31. He writes this, The event which triggered an immediate need for such a movement of renewal and evangelization occurred in Rome, 1917. It was during the bicentenary of Freemasonry, and the Freemasons were making Rome the theater of their sacrilegious demonstrations. In their hatred of the church, they marched right up to the doors of St. Peter's, where the Pope was a voluntary prisoner. Now, just imagine this for a minute. We have today, in our in our day today, we have St. Peter's Basilica. We have St. Peter's Square. You've seen pictures of it. Maybe you've been to Rome, but you've seen pictures of, of the Pope at St. Peter's. And you have that whole St. Peter's uh, Square with the, the obelisk. Uh, so we have a, a Freemasonic procession going all the way up to St. Peter's Basilica. And just imagine what this would be like, because nothing like this could happen today so openly, because the Vatican City itself is a sovereign nation. You, you wouldn't be able to do that so openly as it was done in 1917. But at the time, the Italian, the Masonic Italian state owned that land, or they, they said they own it. They were obviously usurpers. But here's what they said. Boldly, continuing on, boldly they displayed their banners. Satan must reign in the Vatican. The Pope will be his slave. At the same time, they were distributing pamphlets attacking the church and the Holy Father. The military blood of the young friar boiled. 
This is Maximilian Kolbe. Now, when just like Ignatius of Loyola, who founded the classical Jesuits, Maximilian Kolbe at first wanted to be a soldier. He had a military mind, and his military mind, ultimately in God's providence, was destined to found a particular movement of counter-revolution and a militant movement. Here's what St. Maximilian Kolbe, what, how he reacted to this. Now, just think about this for a minute. If you saw a satanic procession, you were in St. Peter's Basilica, in the St. Peter's Square, you saw a satanic procession like this. How would you react? How would you react in, in the various things that you've seen in the church today? How did you react when Pachamama happened? How did you react in these various scandals? Because this is an immense scandal, a satanic procession. Now, what does St. Maximilian Kolbe do? The military blood of the young friar boiled. His reaction to his confreres, Kolbe threw out this challenge. In the face of such attacks of the enemies of the church of God, are we to remain inactive? Is that all we can do, complain and cry? No. Every one of us has a holy obligation to personally hurl back the assaults of the foe. So this is the beginning of St. Maximilian Kolbe's Militia Immaculata, his Soldiers of the Immaculate, his movement of militant counter-revolution against the Masonic infiltration of the Vatican. So his reaction is to fight immediately to defend the church against this evil. Now, notice what he says, though. Are we All we to do is complain and cry? Now, we live in a day where we have social media, which actually rewards us for complaining and crying. And that's a big problem because we, for one thing, we have a psychological manipulation with the social media slave masters. They, they designed it that way. So when you get a like, you get a share and all this stuff, it's giving you some kind of endorphin boost or serotonin or whatever. So it's actually psychologically manipulating you to complain. And this is a this is a difficult situation because obviously with 1 Peter 5, we're trying to cr critique the status quo in Rome, the status quo in the Vatican, various things that the Holy Father has done or said. We're trying to critique that. But we don't want to just simply complain and cry. St. Maximilian Kolbe is also the patron saint of journalists because his Militia Immaculata creates a... He has a newspaper, Night, the Night, uh, I believe it's called the Night, um, the Knights of the Immaculata. Um, and he has this newspaper which fights the good fight against the Masons. And this is what we're trying to do at 1 Peter 5. We're trying to have this good, positive force of fighting against the Marxist Masonic revolution and infiltration in the church. Now, this is why we have the crusade of Eucharistic reparation. And, I, and we're going to get more into Colby in just a minute. But I just want to pause for a minute and invite everyone to join the crusade of Eucharistic reparation. This is our attempt to imitate the same zeal of St. Maximilian Colby. To commit together to doing something 
about all the sacrileges and the profanations of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. This crusade, we're just forming, but it has the endorsement of Bishop Schneider. But we are leading this to as our contribution to the traditionalist movement. So let me see. We've got some commentators in the background uh, giving their thoughts on the matter. And this important, this, this important zeal that we want to spread, we want to spread this, is the potency of true reparation, that our zeal would burn for God's glory, that God may be glorified, and it, it, would, it would place sorrow in our hearts when God is, is it profaned in the Blessed Sacrament through sacrilegious liturgy or suppressing the Old Mass. And part of the in intention of this crusade is to restore the old mass. So this should be our, our zeal of St. Maximilian Kobe, this, the same zeal that, that made him found the Militia Immaculata in the face of Masonic revolution. Now, we note already in this, in the, the year prior to this in 1916, it was the, the it was the, um, yes, <laughs> Diane says, the commentators sound excited about it. Yes. Yeah, they're excited about the crusade. Absolutely, they are very, very excited. Um, so, so the um, in 1916, the angel of of Portugal had already appeared to the the shepherd children of Fatima and taught them the Eucharistic reparation prayer, which is, "Oh God, I believe, I adore, I trust, and I love you. I ask pardon for those who do not believe, do not adore, do not trust, do not love you." And it's this foundational message of Fatima, which becomes the foundation of the, the whole reparation. That, that is the whole spirit of Fatima, is this, this reparation. Um, when Our Lady first appears to the, the children at, in 1917, so shortly after this event that happened um, with St. Maximilian, she says, uh, are they willing to endure all the suffering that he may please to send you as an act of reparation for the sins by which he is offended and to ask for the conversion of sinners? And that is what we desire in this crusade of Eucharistic reparation is to truly suffer and to offer up those sufferings for the conversion of sinners, that God may be glorified in the blessed sacrament, in the holy liturgy. Now, the shortly after this event in St. Maximilian Kolbe's life, he heard the story of Alphonse Radisbon, the converted Jew who saw the Virgin Mary. And this is where St. Maximilian Kolbe used his secret weapon in Militia Maculata, which is the, the miraculous medal. So the miraculous medal which is inscribed with the immaculate conception against the hubris of modern man. O Mary, conceive without sin, pray for us with recourse to thee. And St. Maximilian added the phrase to that invocation. He said, pray for us with recourse to thee and, and, and also those who have no recourse to thee, especially the Freemasons. Now, in the modern usage, they expanded this to also just be the enemies of Holy Church altogether. And this brings us to the critical moment in uh, the conversion of Russia, which I want to just touch on in passing. And it was in the same month that Our Lady of Fatima appeared 
in May, the month of May, the month of Mary, on May 31st, they there was the Russian Catholic Synod of St. Petersburg. And this is what they said they decreed in their synod. So this was with Blessed Leonid Fyodorov. Um, if you want to read more about this, let's see. Blessed Leonid Fyodorov, right here, first exarch of the Russian Catholic Church. This is when that synod decreed, to the patronage of the Holy Mother, Holy, Most Holy Queen, our Mother of God, who has not shared an original sin, all the territory of Great Russia, we beseech the All High to make those dioceses obedient to the Church of Ancient Rome, the Mother of all Orthodox Churches. So there's actually a consecration of Russia to our lady that's happening right in the, the month of May in 1917 at the same time as all of this is happening. So when we look at all of this, we see the providence of God in this spirit of St. Maximilian Kolbe. Now, at the same time, we have our two patrons here. Hard for me to point to them. So we have Blessed Karl of Austria. We have St. Maximilian Kolbe. And we have, first of all, what do we see in the life of these saints in particular? We have one, we have the Marian element, the element of Our Lady, that it is Our Lady who crushes the serpent. It is Our Lady that humbles the pride of modern man. Now, why is this? There's many different aspects to this. St. Maximilian promoted a consecration to Mary as part of his movement. This was building on the spirituality of St. Louis de Montfort, if you have not consecrated yourself to Our Lady, that is a, a critical devotion, critical thing to do in our time, is to consecrate yourself to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, you can use St. Louis de Montfort. You can use St. Maximilian Kolbe. There's various uh, different methods of doing that. And that is critical for this counter-revolution. What can we actually do to fight this Masonic infiltration, this Masonic attack. Uh, because what happened next? We have the first sexual revolution that happened after the Great War in the 1920s. And that was something that spread throughout the Americas and Western Europe. And then we have, at the same time, it was the call of Fatima to repent. And the final warning that if you do not repent, if Russia is not consecrated, World War II would happen. And that's exactly what happened. And after, after that, at this time, the infiltration was getting to the point in the 1950s and 60s where we saw an open, the opening of the church to the enemies of Christ. Now, I want to quote from one of the godfathers of the trad movement, Dietrich von Hildebrand, from his book, The Devastated Vineyard. So this is in 1973. The Devastated Vineyard, he says this, quote, An unprejudiced look at the present devastation of the vineyard of the Lord cannot fail to notice the fact that a fifth column has formed within the church, a group which consciously aims at systematically destroying her. Their systematic and artful undermining of the Holy Church testifies clearly enough to the fact that this is a conscious conspiracy involving Freemasons and communists who are working together toward this goal, end quote. This is the situation that we find ourselves in today. We have a fifth column in the church. Now, for those who critics who would critique this, 
we we can actually point them to the words of Henri de Lubach that are quoted by Dietrich von Hillebrand in Devastated Vineyard, which is where Henri, Henri de Lubach says himself in 1967 that there is another church besides the Church of Christ, which is attempting to be founded to ape the mystical body of Christ. This is the quote in the beginning of Devastated Vineyard. So we see that even the heroes of Vatican II are seeing these problems arising, this sort of fifth column within the church. And so St. Maximilian Kolbe provides us with the model of what to do, is to not sit and complain and cry, but to fight. And that is our calling here at 1 Peter 5. That's what we intend to do. We are intending to spread this lay sodality, the crusade of Eucharistic reparation, at a time when our bishops in the United States, at least, are attempting to effect a Eucharistic revival, which we certainly support Eucharistic revival. But it is the element of Eucharistic reparation that we intend to bring in particular as trads and the zeal for the greater glory of God the zeal that God may be glorified in the Blessed Sacrament and that we may offer reparation. We may offer reparation for all of the sins committed against his most sacred heart in the Blessed Sacrament. It should make all souls cry with sorrow at the way that our Lord is treated in the Blessed Sacrament. And we need to offer penance, offer penance for our own sins, and the sins of our brother. And that is why that, that is something it's really very easy for us to look at the bishops or look at the Pope or look at the priest or whatever, look at the other faithful and judge them lamenting that they are so negligent. But it is a much harder thing to lay that responsibility on ourselves to lay that on ourselves and say, I will repent of my own sins. And not only that, I'm going to offer reparation for his sins too. But that is the Catholic response. Now, I want to mention something else. So this is the, um, this is the manifesto of Kwasniewski uh, of the Eucharistic Reparation Crusade. And in it, so it has the, um, the prayer of Crusade Reparation. So it begins like this. We declare our readiness to atone by voluntary expiation, not only for our own personal offenses, but in particular for the unspeakable outrages, sacrileges, and indifferences by which you were offended in the most blessed sacrament of your divine love in this our time. Now, I want to note one thing about this, one petition in this prayer that I think is very, very powerful for our day. It's, he says this, the more violently the gates of hell storm against your church and the rock of Peter in Rome, the more we believe in the indestructibility of your church, O Eucharistic heart of Jesus. Let me read that again. The more violently the gates of hell storm against your church, the rock of Peter in Rome, the more we believe in the indestructibility of your church, O Eucharistic heart of Jesus. This is important for us today because like St. Maximilian, we, we may see the Masons completely surrounding St. Peter's Basilica, 
we may see them with their satanic parade boasting that the Pope will be the slave of Satan. We may see it in so many words and so many scandals out there, but the more violently the storms engulf the rock of Peter, the more we believe in the rock of Peter. We must not lose our faith in the face of certain death because our forefathers fought and died. They bled to pass down this faith even when things seem to be completely lost. For example, we think of Pius VII, or actually, I'm sorry, Pius VI. Pius VI, Pope Pius VI, was taken from Rome by Napoleon, and he died in France. So in the year 1800, there was no Christmas 1800. Catholics throughout the world had no pope. And he was mocked as Pius the Last. Can you imagine? The French Revolution had decimated the French church. It had murdered countless priests and nuns. It had taken the Pope himself, Pius the Last. But the more violently the storms come against the rock of Peter in Rome, the more we believe in you. And your rock, O Eucharistic heart of Jesus. So this is the challenge of our faith today. That we can have this indestructible faith against all odds. Against certain death. Against what appears to be the total destruction of the church. We need to have this faith. And that's the faith of St. Maximilian Kolbe at a time when Rome was indeed quite humbled. That the satanic parade could just walk up straight to the St. Peter's Basilica and distribute this literature, the satanic, asking the Pope to be the slave of Satan. We need to have this faith in the promises of Christ in the face of, against all odds, against everything that we know that we might, that the world might tell us about what's happening. Because Satan, just like Napoleon, Napoleon will come and say, Pius the last, I've destroyed the church. Satan himself, just as he did in that parade, he will come to you and say, I have overcome the church. It's over. You can throw away your Roman Catholic church, your Roman Catholic faith. And we need to have the fight within us of St. Maximilian Kolbe. So we have this Marian element. We have this militant element. We have this, this element of reparation, which we're trying to promote with this lay sodality. The crusade of Eucharistic reparation is making a commitment to, it's, it's very small. It, there's a small requirement and then lots of other options that you can add on. Um, but it is once a month, one hour of Eucharistic reparation, uh, of Eucharistic adoration in reparation before the Blessed Sacrament, one hour. And offering this in reparation and once a month praying the prayer of Eucharistic reparation written by Bishop Athanasius Snyder. I truly believe that the more we do penance, the more we, we imbibe this, this spirit of St. Maximilian Kolbe, this true spirit of this militancy, this Marian piety, this reparation, that's when we will see a true Eucharistic revival. 
Now, I want to note a few other things before we close out and, and any comments or questions anybody wants to add. Um, please feel free to send those to the chat. Um, one is the founding of Nia Pakolinov. That is the city of the Immaculate. St. Maximilian Kolbe found it necessary in the midst of his Melissa Immaculata to found a new city. And I think this is very much the effort of the Catholics in our, in our day. Catholics in our day, we need to be refounding cities. Because our modern epoch, we have been so entangled in the lies of liberalism, Marxism, in the church and society. We need, in order to restore Christendom, it will involve refounding cities. And the way that St. Maximilian Colby did this was to erect Our Lady as the queen, and everything flows from there. Because Christ is incarnate through the Blessed Virgin Mary, and Christendom is incarnate in the Blessed Virgin Mary. She is the throne of Christ on earth. And so this is something that we all should be doing in one way or another. Now, maybe that means actually founding a new community, a new city. Maybe that means simply being connected with such a city being connected with a true monastery, a traditional monastery. Uh, cities often were traditionally formed around a monastery. The monks went out to fight the demons on the front lines out in the desert or out in some secluded place, and the cities formed around it. We need to do that again. We need to rebuild Christendom in our souls and our societies. Now, maybe that means converting your parish, converting your parish area. You have a parish. A lot of trad parishes are uh, commuter parishes. So a lot of people don't live actually in the parish boundaries. They live further out. They come into the parish. Well, we need to move back to the parish, first of all, move back to the parish geography, move into the neighborhood, take back the neighborhood, reach out to the people in that neighborhood, in the parish neighborhood, and convert them. We've talked on this podcast before about the importance of providing for the poor to have a, a ministry to the poor from your parish. And this is all a part of rebuilding Christendom. And so this brings up our, our final note here. And the reason that we picked these two patrons at one Peter five, we have, we have a, a really a model, a model priest, St. Maximilian Colby, a model priest. And then we have a model layman, a model priest and a model layman. And this is hearkening to the Catholic doctrine of the two swords. The Catholic doctrine of the two swords. This is one of the aspects of our modern period, which has been lost. What is the doctrine of the two swords? The doctrine of the two swords is the lay power and the clerical power working together. Because Christ is prophet, priest, and king. And the lay power in particular has the duty, has the calling to incarnate the kingship of Christ in their person. So we have Emperor Carl, who incarnated the kingship of Christ. And obviously the clerical class incarnates the priesthood of Christ. 
And it is these two powers which represent the so-called temporal sword, which is actually executing judgment uh, through violence, uh, just violence, according to the, the power of the state. So there is an actual temporal sword that's a real sword, if you will. And then there is the spiritual sword, the spiritual sword wielded by the clerics. These two swords, the doctrine of the two swords, is what makes up Christendom. These two swords are, are called by the kingship of Christ and the priesthood of Christ to work together in one body, just as Christ himself is the, he is the prophet, priest, and king. But in the church, the church is the lay power and the priesthood together. And this is something that unfortunately began to be lost even before Vatican II. In particular moments, for example, the the investiture controversy back in the 1100s and 1200s was something that was settled between these two powers. There was a certain governance of the church. We talked about this last week with the apparent papal apparent papal paganism. Um, that there is a certain governance of the church by the lay power, by lay noblemen and women and lay rulers, kings and queens, princes and princesses. And that is through the approval of Episcopal appointments. Now, in Vatican I, there was a critical moment where Pius IX did not invite any lay rulers to Vatican I. Now, this was an innovation because an ecumenical council, as you may know, the very first ecumenical council was called by a layman. Saint Constantine the Great, the emperor. And the emperors since that time, especially the Holy Roman emperors, were intimately tied in with the governance of the church. So, for example, Emperor Sigismund, the Holy Roman emperor during the Great Western Schism, helped to resolve the schism when there were three popes. And the lay power has an important job to do. And that's our job today, is that we have to find our role in this counter-revolutionary movement that we're in and by bringing forth this lay power and that's why we chose blessed carl of austria as our patron we have a, a model layman and a model priest and these two swords need to work together so unfortunately with with pius the ninth it also happened with pius the tenth when he revoked the veto power of the holy roman emperor uh after the great war after world war one there was a, a destruction of monarchy throughout the world in the post-war world dominated by the United States in particular, as, as, it, as it was also um, with the Second World War. And there was, a, there was a destruction of monarchy and there was a destruction of nobility. And this is something that we need to restore in our own day. And here's what I mean by that. The lay power needs to find its place to help to rule the church in its own sphere. As lay people, we should not be trying to resolve all of the doctrinal difficulties. We can offer some help, but it is really the, the, the purview of the spiritual sword to resolve ecclesiastical difficulties. There is a, a role for the lay power in some of that, um, but the church is often, think about it today, when you hear the term church, the church says this, the church does this. 
more often than not, the term church is being referred to clerics only. But the church is not clerics only. But that's evidence of the fact that we have this clericalist problem. Pope Francis talks about clericalism, but perhaps not in the way that the, the problem that we're trying to lay out here. But the problem is that we need to restore this lay power. We have to restore this lay power, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to ask these heavenly patrons to give us the same zeal, and both of them really were soldiers wield, wielding this these these swords in their own way. Saint Maximilian Colby wielded his sword in the spiritual battle, and Blessed Emperor Carl also fought on the front lines with his men. He was known as the uh, the surprising emperor because he would surprise his troops in all the different front lines. Um, and he would be with them on the front lines, very much different than our politicians today who send men into battle, you know, thousands of miles away or, or kill them with missiles or whatever. But blessed emperor Carl was a true emperor because he was fighting, uh, with his men. And so this is the, the type of lay power that we need to establish nobility one one aspect of how nobility arose historically was that we had an enemy at the gates so for example the vikings invading christendom from the north in the 800s and 900s the vikings coming and raping and pillaging well what happened was whoever could fight pick up picked up their swords and fought whoever could fight led the way against the enemy. And that is what we need today is that in our church that, that has become totally clericalist, we need to have lay people pick up their sword and fight as much as we can to fight for Christendom, to fight for the uh, establishing in souls and society, the reign of Christ, and these, these, the importance of this. And that's why we, we've chosen these two heavenly patrons. So this is, this is our response. This is our response to Satan must reign in the Vatican. Because as we know, there have been satanic elements invading the Vatican. And our response has to be that of St. Maximilian Kolbe. So that's why we've chosen him as a patron. His feast day is coming up on the vigil of the assumption that is when he gave his life at Auschwitz to save a fellow prisoner. So he consummated his own life in the perfect manner of Christ and blessed emperor Carl had a, a similar victimhood where, which is where he was exiled from his country. And then he gave his life as a reparation for the sins committed against the sacred heart of Jesus. He gave his life for his people and he died young as a result. And that is why the, the blessed emperor Carl league of prayer is all about reparation. And so that's why we feel that our, this, this, this uh, Eucharistic crusade of reparation uh, comes into this same spirit. So let me, let me get your questions and comments and we can discuss them. We'll, then we'll close out. Um, let me see. Uh, Yvonne says, how to see what Monsignor Vigano is trying to do upon that? The risk is to fall into Barbiana 
socialist kind of micro societies. So surely traditional aspects are needed. Um, I think that there was a really great, um, there was a really great article last fall for Michaelmas, and it talked about how Dr. Plinio talked about organic society. And this is one of the things that marks our movement different than modern movements is that we are, the founding of societies is not centrally planned. It is something that grows organically from the mustard seed of the family. And so the first thing we need to do is we take the nuclear family and we understand the nuclear family is itself a corruption because it was created by the industrial revolution. The true family is the extended family. That's the whole community of the family. And so it's establishing in your family, this generational aspect and which will grow over these years and decades. And that is something that is deeply is really indestructible. That's what our Lord founded. Our Lord founded communities of families. That was his answer to the, the uh, Roman empire and the Roman imperial power or the Persian imperial power was to found these families. And that was the mustard seed that grew over time. And the extended family comes out of that. And this is what really grows the organic society, the organic Christendom. So I think the important thing is to uh, avoid the central planning. And that that's what I think Catholics can sometimes get into that temptation, I think, but it, it's a, it's really a trap. It's a, it's a shortcut. It's, it's an attempt like, well, we, we hope that we can, uh, you know, make this shortcut and centrally plan this whole thing out and it, it'll be perfect. Um, but we don't have the faith. We don't have the faith of the mustard seed to really grow that thing and allow it to, uh, allow it to grow slowly. Uh, and that's what we need. M Proxima says layman fight. Yes, but make sure you get trained up in your weapons and tactics and general traditional Catholic practice first. Yes, absolutely. A great, great comment. Um, one should not go into battle unless you are trained. Um, and so that's why at 1 Peter 5, that's what we're attempting to do is the first point of the crusade is to ground it very deeply in the spiritual realities of that crusade. And we can see in the history of crusades that crusades have failed when they were attached to earthly goals. They had earthly attachments. So the first part of this crusade is to found it in the crusade of Eucharistic reparation, that we are, this is founded in prayer. This is founded in the, the deep spiritual militancy of Jesus Christ. And if, if the militancy does not flow from that, it will fail. If the militancy does not flow from Jesus Christ, it will fail. And so we need to be founded in this, this deep spirituality of Christ that we can fight with the weapons of the spirit. Otherwise we will be slain by the fallen angels. And that is critical. So that's why we are, we see our contribution to this crusade as this lay sodality. So, so stay tuned to, for the lay sodality. We'll have more organization as we organize, get everything together. Uh, right now, you can send me an email if you want to be a part of the crusade and be an official member of it. Once again, it's once a month, Eucharistic adoration for an hour, once a month for reparation, and you pray the prayer of reparation. And there's other things to add to that. 
So the intentions are to make reparation for the sins committed against God in the Blessed Sacrament and also to restore the Latin Mass. And there's other things that we hope to build out of this, but this is the critical crusade is that we want people to commit to this so that we can really do something. We can do something against all of the sacrileges committed against the Blessed Sacrament. So that is our response. In the spirit of St. Maximilian Kolbe, Blessed Carl of Austria, Our Lady of Fatima, that is what we offer to God in this crusade. So please join us. If you are called, if you feel that with what we're trying to present here, uh, go to onepeter5.com. You can uh, donate to our crusade, unite to the whole the whole effort. Um, as I said, we still need monthly donors, so please donate if you can. But let's offer this all to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Uh, we have the icon of Our Lady of Fatima, which we've been trying to promote here. So this is the Russian Catholic icon of Our Lady of Fatima. And um, we're going to offer up an Ave, offering all of these intentions to Our Lady, that she may purify them and make our reparation worthy of Christ. In nomine Patris, Filii, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tu, Jesus. Santa Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in hora mortis nostre. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. St. Maximilian Kolbe, pray for us. Blessed Emperor Carl, pray for us. In nomine Patris, et Fidi, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen.